it's time for episode 63 of the Gem on the Queen's Crown. As the voice of the Dayton Dragons, Tom Nichols sits down to talk about his career and the 2018 campaign. Plus, get your fixins of local high school football, college football, and NFL scores as we tackle this upcoming episode on the local Sunday Sports Podcast. Note, may not actually be tackling on this episode. Welcome to the Gem on the Queen's Crown, a podcast talking local Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio sports. Visit the com slash podcasts for every available platform. Opening theme from Music Radio Creative. And now for our host, Lee W. Mowen. Welcome back, my friends, to the podcast that never ends. We're so glad that you could attend. Come inside, come inside. And that's all the song lyrics I know from that. Anyway, it's week five of high school football scores, college football scores, and NFL scores. Coming right to you on the local Cincinnati and Dayton sports podcast. Another week, another episode. Just before we get to the scores, last year was... This was about the time that I released episode 9. I got negative backlash on it, and I just stopped doing the podcast for a little over a month. Well, I can proudly say, unless something dire happens in my life, I'm not going to have a month hiatus. In fact, I'm now planning on what I'd like to do for episode 64, so... Yes, prepare for a lot of 64 reference. If you saw the video of the kid opening up a Christmas present and there's a Nintendo 64, he shouts Nintendo 64. That's that's the reference. So, excellent. Anyway, let's go ahead and tackle some football scores. I'm not going to make that joke again. It's in the opening. We'll start off with the Thursday games. The televised one was Miami East versus Bethel, and the Vikings come away with a 52-28 win over the Bees. Belmont versus Thurgood Marshall in a battle of Dayton City League schools, and the Bison come out on top over Thurgood Marshall and the Cougars, 26-21. Now on to the Friday games, as Twin Valley South defeats Mississinawa Valley 25-18. Tri-County North takes care of the Bradford Railroaders. Panthers win 46-0. National Trail ruins the homecoming of Tri-Village and the Patriots 45-8 for the Blazers. Oakwood 40, Eaton 12. You got Waynesville taking care of Preble Shawnee 31-17. Valley View a winner over the winless Monroe Hornets, 21-0. Miamisburg stays perfect. Vikings 5-0. And they take care of previously undefeated Troy Trojans on the road in Miami County, 31-14. We got Kettering Fairmont taking care of Beaver Creek, 42-0. That was the halftime score for the Firebirds, by the way. Springboro takes care of winless Centerville. Panthers win 35-0. Springfield defeats Lebanon to stay perfect. Wildcats 28-0 winners over the Warriors. White Warriors defeat the Northmont Thunderbolts 49-20. The Northridge Polar Bears shut out the Dixie Greyhounds 41-0. Bellbrook stays flawless with a 5-0 record. Golden Eagles defeat Franklin 21-17. The Wildcats, I believe, had a 17-7 lead at one point over Bellbrook. Middletown Madison 34, Milton Union 0, Mohawks win. Fort Loramie takes care of Ansonia 37-10. Covington 24, Arcanum 6. We have Vandalia Butler edging out Xenia 13-7 in overtime. Greenville 35, West Carrollton 34 in overtime. And the point about that game is West Carrollton tied it in overtime, their possession. Elected to go for two, and the 
Pirates could not convert in the two-point conversion. Green Wave held on at home, 35-34 in OT. Tipica News shuts out Windless Stebbins, 52-0. Sydney Stings Fairborn, 40-12. Trotwood Madison, 48. Piqua, 13. Coldwater with a 35-31 win over Fort Recovery. Versailles shuts out Defo St. John's, 27-0 Tigers. Minster with a 62-35 win over Parkway. We have Bell Fountain 14, Benjamin Logan 6, Springfield Shawnee 40, Northwestern 35. If I remember from Twitter, the Braves won that game off a botched victory formation where the ball was fumbled. I'm trying to remember if that's right or not. Braves won it. 40 to 35. Jonathan Alder, 42. Indian Lake, 7. Tecumseh, 35. Urbana, 32. Brookville with a 42 to 2 win over the Carlisle Indians. Greenview, 35. Northeastern, 0. Mechanicsburg, 41. Mass and Plain, 0. I believe the Indians are undefeated on the year. Triad edges out Cedarville, 35-34, Cardinals win. Fairbanks, 62, Southeastern, 7. Salina, 42, Ottawa Glandorf, 24. Defiance defeats Lima Bath, 28-7. St. Mary's runs wild over Kenton, 70-29. Van Wert, 39, Lima Shawnee, 6. Wapakoneta, 56, Elida, 12. Lehman Catholic, 63, Marion Elgin, Possibly Elgin. No one's corrected me on that. If you feel like correcting me on that in the Springfield Shawnee point, you know the address. It's Twitter at the Lee W. Mallon. It is 63-44. Lehman Catholic Cavaliers win. Lima Perry and the Commodores shut out Waynesville Goshen 38 nothing. Harden Northern edges out Riverside 34-33. Upper Scioto Valley, 44. Ridgemont, 6. It's Shamna Julien taking care of the Carroll Patriots. Eagles win 61-30. Dayton Christian, 41. Jefferson Township, 0. Alter defeats Fenwick. Knights, 45. And the Falcons, 20. Troy Christian, 34. McLean, 14. Clinton Massey, 34. Bishop Hartley, 31. By the way, before I keep forgetting it, WALHradio.com has a lot of Clinton County games. They have done a couple Wilmington games, including, I believe it was Wilmington Valley View to open up the year. And they just did the Clinton Massey versus Bishop Hartley game. Very exciting game. Very big win for CM and the Falcons. So I wanted to bring that up. A little correction from... What is that episode I talked about? High school football, 58? It's got to be 58. Anyway, Edgewood Cougars take care of the Harrison Wildcats, 42-35. Deer Park, 23. Taylor, 20. Witten Woods, 59. Northwest, 7. Wilmington with a shout-out win over the Astros of East Clinton. Battle of Clinton County in the southeast Miami Valley area. That's 59-0 hurricane win. Bactavia, 42. Fayetteville, 8. Hillsboro takes care of Claremont Northeastern 29-7. New Richmond Lions 24, Norwood 14. Wyoming over Finneytown 62-0. Western Brown takes care of Bethel Tate and the Tigers 49-23. Minford 34, Williamsburg 0. Aiken takes care of Schroeder 32-6. Taft 55, Hughes 0. Mount Healthy 28, Ross 14. Miami Valley Christian with a shout-out win over the Lachlan Panthers, 41-0. Cincinnati Country Day, 28. New Miami, 20. Little Miami, 48. Oxford Talawanda, 16. And in case you're wondering, no, New Miami and Little Miami aren't close together. New Miami's in the little village of New Miami, which is, what is that, south, north of Hamilton? And also, once known as Speed Trap USA, if you go 36, bam. And also the place where the speeding cameras got taken down, and I think New Miami has to... It doesn't matter. Little Miami's in Morrow. That's Warren County. I think that's far Warren County. Hmm. Also, New Miami's more green and white. Little Miami's green and gold. 
There you go. New Miami Vikings, Little Miami Panthers. Anderson, 47, with throw 12. Redskins win. Indian Hill takes care of Redding and the Blue Devils, 44-28. Madeira, 28. Marymont, 14. In the battle of mascots with swords. Kings, 37. Turpin Spartans, 34. Hamilton Baden edges out Roger Bacon, 42-35 in OT. Mason, 34. Hamilton, 21. Fairfield, 41. Lakota East, 27. Western Hills, 36. Gamble, Montessori, 0. Purcell, Marion, 21. McNicholas, 13. LaSalle takes care of Royal Imperial Collegiate of Canada out of Ontario, 52-6. That's just a great name. Royal Imperial Collegiate of Canada. I think that's LaSalle's second foe from Canada, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not sure. Lancers win 52-6. Goshen 32, Blanchester 13, and the King of the Road rivalry. The trophy stays with Goshen. Princeton 32, Middletown 29. Middies had a lead early on that game. And also the story is Princeton has to give up three, well, actually their whole record, in college football, you give up your wins and the other team technically doesn't get the win because of the fact that it's vacated. In high school football, your wins turn into losses. So Princeton came in 0-4 instead of 3-1 and because of the use of the ineligible player. That was from the Cincinnati Inquirer. Coleraine Cardinals shut out the Sycamore Aves 45-0. Moeller edges out St. X. Crusaders 19. Bombers 14. West Claremont with a 14-9 chewing of the Walnut Hills Eagles. Lakota West shuts out Oak Hills 34-0. Milford picks up 71 points and hands Loveland a 71-21 loss. Meadowdale edges out Ponitz Tech in another battle of Dayton, 20-18 Lions. Marion Local flies over Anna, 44-20. And at the half, it was Flyers 21, Rockets 20. St. Henry 36, New Bremen 0. Allen East 50, Delphos Jefferson 6. And now across the border to Indiana scores. Northeastern 24, Centerville 6, Knights back on top. And their conference. McCutcheon 57, Richmond 20. Shenandoah 49, Hagerstown 0. First time the Tigers have been shut out this year. In the battle of places that sound like they're close to another, but they're not. Union County 32, Union City 6. Another lesson. I, I don't know if these are entertaining or not. Union County is the small county south of Richmond in the Miami Valley. And Union City is in Randolph County, which is north of Wayne. Union City's in Randolph County, north of Richmond and Wayne County. And Union County is south of Wayne County. Union County's big city or town is Liberty. And Union City, I think, is that the biggest town in Randolph County? I don't know. But there you go. There's a little knowledge dropped on you. I'm all about dropping knowledge in this episode, I guess. I don't know. Knightstown 56, Lincoln 6. First win of the year for the Golden Falcons. It's Winchester 50 and Tri 14. Jennings County 31 and Connorsville 6. To the Saturday scores. Cincinnati Hills Christian Academy 21. Trimble and the Tomcats 20. Riverview East 26. Cincinnati College Prep 6. Clark Montessori 36. North College Hill 16. St. Ignatius 17. Elder 7. Dunbar takes care of Woodward in the Battle of Dayton and Cincinnati 22-20. And lastly, Summit Country Day 30. St. Bernard Elmwood Place 26. We moved from high school to college scores, and it was a pretty good day in the Sunday area for college football, as Wright State and the Raiders take a 20-19 win at Pitt and the Panthers. Dayton, a slow start for the Flyers, but it's not always how you start, it's how you finish. Flyers fly over the Davidson Wildcats, 42-21. And for Dayton-Davidson, not only are they both Atlantic 10 members, they're also Pioneer Football League members as well. 
because A-10 does not sponsor football as a sport. Bearcats 34, Ohio Bobcats 30 in the Battle of the Cats. In this game, the 2008 Bearcats squad led the catwalk and recognized between first and second quarter. OU got off to a strong start, including former Buccaneer of Covington High School, A.J. Olette, running in the first points for Ohio. Originally on that possession, the Bobcats had to punt, and the ref... I thought the ref said they weren't going to throw a roughing the punter. A roughing the kicker, I should say. Roughing the kicker penalty. But I think they overturned it, and then the Bobcats got the ball back and ran it down the field. A.J. Olette with the touchdown. It's great to see A.J. Olette do so well for the Bobcats. Like I mentioned, former Covington Buccaneer. When you see local athletes do big things collegially, that's pretty cool. Bearcats do come back. Ohio had a 21-0 lead at one point, And Cincinnati orchestrated a comeback. And UC is perfect. I believe 4-0 is Cincinnati. Miami runs wild at Bowling Green 38-23. The Red Hawks soar to victory. Central State defeats Kentucky State. That's a great rivalry right there. Not only in the Southern Intercollegiate Athletic Conference, but Central State and Kentucky State seem to be the big Division II rivalry around here. And the Marauders take care of the Thoroughbreds 24-6. Urbana on a Thursday night game hands West Virginia Wesleyan a 42-10 loss. Blue Knights make it look easy in that contest. In Wilmington's homecoming, it was not meant to be for the fighting Quakers on their rally, as Muskingum takes care of the Quakers 31-24. It's Champions Night in Springfield, and number 14 Wittenberg has no problems with the Kenyan Lords 45-3. Thomas Moore, third straight win in a row for the Saints, as they'll pick up a 38-35 win at Huntingdon in Montgomery, Alabama. And speaking of Montgomery, Alabama, Cincinnati Christian falls at number 25, Faulkner, 73-7. And to close out college football in the area, Mount St. Joseph's 59, Earlham 2. We now look at the NFL scores. I know there's one team in the Sunday area, but there's a large mass of other fans here, so I'm trying to add those as well. It might be at episode 64. I just list all the NFL scores, maybe. I don't know. I haven't decided yet. If you feel strongly one way or another, again, Twitter's at the Lee W. Mallon. Shout at me and, you know, yeah. Cincinnati and the Bengals fall for the first time in 2018 as the Carolina Panthers protect their home turf. 31-21. For the first win in 635 days, nearly two calendar years pass by. Cleveland Browns 21, New York Jets 17. Not only do the Bud Light refrigerators get unlocked. Not sure why you want Bud Light. That stuff isn't great, but anyway. For the Browns, uh, Tarod Taylor was put in concussion protocol and in comes Baker Mayfield, and Mayfield leads the Browns to victory. It was 14-0 at one point as former Cleveland Brown Isaiah Crowell. He does a dance, which I'm pretty sure you saw already. Rubs his um, butt with the ball and then throws it to Browns fans, which I'm not offended by it. It is classless, but yeah... Maybe not the thing to do, but, you know. Philadelphia defeats the Indianapolis Colts 20-16, to and it's Monday Night Football on this day recording, the 24th of September. Pittsburgh is at Tampa Bay with Ryan Fitzgerald coming back to life Phoenix style. That's all your football scores. And that will take us to episode 63's interview with Tom Nichols.
here with Tom Nichols at Fifth Third Field in downtown Dayton. Tom, great to see you. How's your offseason going? Pretty good, Lee. So far, we wish the season had gone a little bit further into the playoffs, but uh, now we're into the offseason mode and looking forward to 2019. That's the way it works around here. Some high points in the 2018 season of the Dragons, some low points as well. Uh, 211 road trip, probably the lowest point of the season. But Tom, as the play by play voice of the Dragons, what was your take overall of 2018? Well, I guess our most memorable time probably was uh, related some to Hunter Green. Um, his first start, for example, was a very memorable start for us. Um, first uh, pitch he threw was exactly 100 miles an hour, which was a surprise to me. I didn't expect that kind of velocity on a cool day on April the 9th here with a big press box full of national, regional, and local media. So that was certainly a memorable day. Um, and later in the season, of course, he broke the stadium record by throwing a pitch at 102 miles an hour. So uh, a lot of the attention this year was focused on Hunter Green. Of course, he had a, a, a sort of a Jekyll and Hyde type season. He started off and really struggled for his first six or seven starts. And then he got it together and was outstanding after that for the, the rest of the time he was with us. So a lot of good memories there. Um, had, a, had a pretty good first half. Uh, had some good players uh, that moved up at the All-Star break, like Stuart Fairchild and John Sansone, and uh, a little bit before that, Michael Beltre, um, Narciso Crook. We just never were able to replace those kind of players in production in the lineup in the second half, and uh, so our second half record wasn't what we would have hoped, but uh, uh, still had some good games in the second half and some, some exciting nights. You mentioned Stuart Fairchild. You mentioned Hunter Green, John Sansone, Michael Beltre started 2018 here. Uh, what are some other names that really did a nice job but didn't get as much attention as the Greens of the Dragons? Well, let's see. Uh, a guy that really improved a lot over the season was uh, Jose Garcia, shortstop and second base. He had a, a rough start for us, and you looked at him in April and you said, this guy really doesn't belong in this league. He's not ready here for, for this level yet. And by the end of the season, he was playing well, playing like a, a quality player, both offensively and defensively. And so uh, Garcia was uh, a guy that really showed a lot of improvement over the season. Jeter Downs was another guy, uh, second baseman, shortstop, high draft pick the year before, supplemental first-round pick in 2017 out of high school down in the Miami area. And he had certainly his moments this year as well, both uh, offensively and defensively, showed a lot of power, double-digit home runs. Uh, Henry Clementino was another guy that uh, uh, had a big home run number for us, 18 for the year, and we hoped he could get the 20, but he never quite reached there. So Henry Clementino was a guy that we uh, we got a lot of good production from this season. Pitching-wise, we also had a couple nice stories as well. Hunter Green, of course, but Corey Thompson, he was a shortstop for 2016 squad, and now he's in the bullpen. Did a really nice job. John Geisel, really solid closer. And Packy Naughton led the Midwest League in strikeouts, too. Right, all those guys had their moments with us this season, no doubt about that. Uh, Packy Naughton was in the uh, rotation all year, and as you mentioned, led the league in innings and strikeouts and um, also uh, tied for the league lead, I think, in starts. Uh, I think he tied our club record for most starts in a season and uh, had some stretches where he was almost unhittable. So um, that was a good thing. Uh, you mentioned John Geisel uh, was an all-star closer for us, led the league in saves. Nice story, came out of a D3 program, a University of Rochester, and had a good year for us. So uh, he was a good, uh, good part of our team all season. And then Corey Thompson out of the bullpen, a uh, guy that converted from shortstop to pitcher and had a, a nice year, uh, maybe ran out of gas a little bit at the end, but uh, had a good year for us as well. It'll be pretty exciting to see uh, Luis Boulevard. He just completed his second year as manager. And was it the first season or second season he was sworn as a United States citizen? That happened in 2017. I remember that. It was, it was really cool. It was. The players were all there and enjoyed it at the at the courthouse and a big day for Luis and his family. And also he was the hitting coach for a while for the Dragons and also one of the first Dragons, I believe, in 20, 2003. Okay, Luis was here as a player in 2003 and 2004. 
Uh, got to AAA as a player, never got to the big leagues, but learned the game well and uh, came back as a hitting coach for three years. Uh, that would have been, let's see, that would have been 14, 15, and 16, uh, 2014 and 2015 under Jose Nieves, and then 2016 under Dick Schofield, and then named the manager in 2017 and 2018. So the Reds haven't named their coaching staff for next year, of course, yet. Uh, it's possible Luis will be back here again for another season as manager. So, Tom, let's swing from the 2018 season of the Dragons, and let's talk about you. Where are you from, and how did you find yourself in Dayton, Ohio? Well, Lee, I was born in uh, Muncie, Indiana, grew up there, went to high school there, lived there, went to college there at Ball State University, uh, grew up as a Reds fan, and uh, got into broadcasting out of college with the Indianapolis Indians. That would be way back in 1988. And so minor league baseball is really the only career I've had. I started minor league baseball in 1988 and uh, came to Dayton in 2008. At that point, I already had 20 years of experience in the minor leagues, but really wanted to come here, knew a little bit about the organization, interviewed for the job. And so I'm going into my 12th year in, in, in 2019 with the Dragons. When you learned that you were going to be the next voice of the Dayton Dragons, what were some of your feelings? Well, you know, I was in a good situation uh, before, so I knew that this would be um, a, a little different kind of a step for me. Um, I'd been in AA for eight years, but I really it was important to me to get back to the Midwest. And uh, also uh, a couple other elements to that decision related to the fact that it was a Reds affiliate. I grew up as a Reds fan, really look forward to the chance to, to work with the Reds as a person that got into baseball as a Reds fan. And uh, and the other thing, of course, I knew that uh, this this organization was extremely well run, and I knew that it was well supported by the fans. There was a lot of interest here based on the sellout streak and the attendance numbers. So those things all kind of worked together and, and, and uh, led me to applying for the job here, and it's been a great time. And uh, who knows, maybe I'll close it out here. That's a, that's a possibility at this point, uh, at some point in the future. Uh, really happy here, and uh, so that's uh, that's uh, I've been here for now again going into my twelfth year and I've been really happy here. You mentioned being as a kid a Reds fan. Was that kind of the ball to get rolling that you knew that you wanted to be a broadcaster? I think so. Um, I started listening to Reds on radio in like nineteen seventy one. I think I was uh, at that time I was seven years old. So. Um, Became a pretty much daily listener to Reds games. Of course, the announcer at that time, older fans will remember, was Al Michaels with working with Joe Nuxall. And then uh, he left, and Marty Brenneman came in in 1974 and is still there to this day. So it was a great uh, great group of broadcasters to grow up listening to, and, and that led me to a career in, in uh, baseball play-by-play more than anything else. Again, touching on the Cincinnati Reds, uh, just a couple weeks ago you got – to call three games for the Cincinnati Reds on radio. One game. One game. One game, three innings. Three innings. That's, yeah. It's early in the morning. That's all right. Three <laughs> innings of one game on Reds on radio with Marty and the Cowboy. What were some of your feelings about getting a chance to do that? Well, of course, it was a it, it was a, uh, a highlight of a, of a 31-year career, to be honest with you. Um, something I'd hope would happen at some point. Uh, I was thinking, you know, just one day in the major leagues is all I need at this point. So I got that, and I was thrilled with the opportunity. Uh, the the uh, the Dragons organization worked with the Reds to to make that happen, and so I was very thankful uh, to uh, to Bob Murphy of the Dragons and Eric Deutsch of the Dragons, along with um, the Reds people that were involved in making that happen. Uh, some of their front office members and and their broadcasters as well. So very thankful for that chance and. Uh, it was uh, a night I'll never forget, that's for sure. Um, and it was also a, a, a really good night for my family, who's been, you know, supportive of me from the first game I called. So um, that was all uh, a big thing for our family. And a lot, of, a lot of people that know me were listening that night, and it was a stressful night. It was a night I was quite nervous. But uh, in the end, it all came out pretty well, so I was thrilled with that opportunity. You did a really nice job. I got to listen to some of the innings, and you mentioned stressful. But what were some of the feelings walking into the booth and walking out from the booth after that time? <laughs> well, I was a lot more relaxed walking out than I was walking in. If you can imagine, <laughs> uh, 
Think about the idea, and anybody out there listening could think about the idea that uh, pretty much everybody you've known for the last 30 years is telling you they're listening to everything you say, and uh, that's about the way it worked that night. Uh, I had so many uh, emails, texts, Facebook messages, and so forth, people I hadn't really talked to for years and years that said, we'll be listening, and so and not only that, of course, all of uh, all the Reds fans that people I didn't know were listening, and I knew they would be uh, um, sort of in a, in a critical mode of, of listening to this guy, and I didn't want to come across as someone who uh, would, would uh, leave a negative impression on the Dragons organization. I wanted to be a strong representation of our organization since they'd given me that chance. So those were the things. I just worried about, a, you know, every broadcaster's, had a, a call that you wished you had back that maybe you, you blew in some way, uh, a ball you thought was a home run that actually hit off the top of the fence and came back or something along those lines. And I just wanted to avoid anything like that, any any kind of a problem or um, any any issue at all that wouldn't, wouldn't look good for our organization. And it all came out pretty well in the end. It couldn't have gone better. Let's go back to your career. Once you started to get your broadcasting career intact who are some of the broadcasters that helped you to where you are today well i'll start with uh in terms of just the motivation and uh desire to be a broadcaster you got to start with probably marty brenneman and uh and again before that al michaels although al michaels was gone pretty early uh he was he, he was gone at the end of the 1973 season so marty was there in 74 and is still there to this day so uh, more than anyone, Marty was the person that was the model for my career. And um, you don't want to copy another broadcaster, but but uh, just in terms of the way he went about his job, um, that was the guy that I mainly listened to. So that was really the only the only guy I knew uh, as a broadcaster, the way he did his job, the way he presented a game and so forth. So that would be more than anything, even though I didn't know him at that time, of course, uh, the, the person that had the, the strongest influence as a broadcaster. And then as I got into broadcasting, um, the person that gave me the, the break really was the Indianapolis Indians broadcaster, Howard Kelman, a uh, gentleman from, uh, from Brooklyn who joined that franchise the same year Marty joined the Reds, 1974. And, and like Marty, he's still there to this day. And he gave me my chance in 1988. Uh, I, I actually had called him on the phone um, that that uh, late winter of that year, asking for some advice on getting into baseball, and he said, "Well, send a send a tape, and we'll take a listen." And I, I did that, and he he offered me a chance to do one game. And at the end of that night, he said, "Well, we've got some more games for you." And it turned out to be about over two seasons, maybe I don't know, sixty to eighty games over two seasons, and uh, that uh, that opportunity uh, really was the springboard for my first number one job in baseball, which was a, a position with the Kinston Indians in Kinston, North Carolina, in the Carolina League. I, I started there in 1990. And from there, uh, I've been a few places, but um, uh, happy here to be here now. This is the longest I've been anywhere, of course, going into year number 12. I've been uh, in, in Mobile, Alabama for, for eight years, so I've, I've long since surpassed that and and uh, could could go a few more years here for sure. Where is your broadcasting career taking you in terms of travel? Where have you been with your teams? Okay, well, mostly the eastern half of the U.S. Um, a little bit into Canada. There were uh, from 2005 through 2007, three seasons. I was in a league that had Canadian cities, three Canadian cities. Um, Winnipeg, uh, Edmonton, and Calgary. Uh, so uh, th- those were opportunities for me to visit and experience some of Canada. Outside of that, uh, in the United States, anywhere from, uh, I guess, uh, everywhere from Orlando, Florida, Jacksonville to the to the south and east, uh, to the to the uh, west. Well, into Mississippi and and. Uh, up into Missouri, Nebraska, Kansas, and then uh, to the uh, to the to a lot of time in the Midwest. Uh, our league includes teams in Iowa, Wisconsin, Illinois, Michigan, Indiana, Kentucky, and Ohio. 
And then uh, I spent a year in the Carolina League, which had teams in North Carolina, Virginia, and Maryland. Um, and uh, I guess I'm leaving out a team or, or a state here. I mean, again, Alabama, uh, Tennessee, South Carolina. So really all over the eastern United States, I've gotten a chance to see a lot of, uh, the, 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 a lot of America, quite honestly, and that's something I've really enjoyed. Um, you don't have a lot of time when you're on the road with a team to be out sightseeing and that sort of thing. Uh, you don't have free hours in the afternoons or, or mornings. Your, your, uh, your days are long days at the ballpark on the road, just like they are at home. You're working the same job on the road as you are at home pretty much. So you're, and you don't have any transportation on the road. You're, you're basically riding the team bus and, uh, you're, you're confined to wherever you can walk to around the hotel. So there's not a lot of time to be outside sing, but it has been a great time to, to be able to just see, um, different things in different cities throughout the whole Eastern U.S. and, uh, and into Canada a little bit as well. You mentioned not a lot of time to see the sites, but what have been some of your favorite ballparks to be in a press box? Well, Fifth Third Field in Dayton is uh, a great park and certainly comparable to just about any place else uh, that you you could ever go. Um, the, the, the ballpark here is heading into year number 20, and uh, it's been maintained extremely well over the years. There are ballparks that never make it to 20 years, and then they're building a new ballpark somewhere. So this park has been very well maintained and uh, been happy to be here for the last 11 years. But outside of that... Uh, Let's see. I mean, the Fort Wayne ballpark is a downtown park as well that's super nice. That That's up there. In our league, we've got some very nice ballparks. I mean, West Michigan Whitecaps, Great Lakes Loons in Midland, Michigan. West Michigan, by the way, is in uh, Grand Rapids. Um, Lansing, Michigan is a very nice park. Uh, the park in Peoria, Illinois is a nice ballpark. South Bend has an excellent ballpark. Um so those are uh, those are all very good ballparks in our league. And then when I was in the Southern League, we had a brand new ballpark in the city I was in when I went there, Mobile, Alabama. Hank Aaron Stadium was at that time a, a fine facility. Uh, as the years went by, um, it it, uh, it started to show some age, but um, uh, that was an, a great ballpark when we started there in 1997. Um, and then the ballpark in Jacksonville was an excellent park. And again, some of these places are. Uh, are showing some age since I've been there, uh, but um, when they were new, they were they were places that you really look forward to going into, and and uh, so you know there's a big uh, contrast in styles. You could do a game for for example in some place like Clinton, Iowa, the Clinton Lumber Kings, which is a ballpark I think built before World War II, and it's got that old style feel about it. And you do a game there, and it's a much different environment than. Uh, Certainly, the the newer parks that are, that have been built in more recent years, and I think the probably the newest park in our league, uh, I would think is uh, let's see, probably either Midland, Michigan, the Great Lakes Loons, uh, maybe Bowling Green might be a little bit newer, um, and then uh, South Bend was just recently remodeled within the last five years or so, and it, it looks brand new. So. Uh, Fort Wayne was built in 2009. Actually, Fort Wayne's newer than Great Lakes for sure. So um, those are all very nice facilities. One thing I like about Dow Diamond, which is the Loons Park, is they have their ESPN affiliate right at the ballpark, just a radio station in the stadium. That's that's something I always thought was pretty neat. The team actually runs the station, so their broadcasters are the program directors and, and broadcasters on that radio station for – uh, high school sports that they broadcast and so forth. So those uh, those people that work for the the team also run the radio station. And as you say, the station's right there in the press box. Um, so it's within a few feet of the of the home radio booth, and uh, a different dimension entirely there with that. And uh, they've done a great job with that over the years. Something I noticed that you do you take in young broadcasters and kind of guide them as there's a lot of media assistants that have come through in my time what gave you the idea to help younger broadcasters out well i'd like to say it was uh <laughs> at the start it was all uh an effort to help other people but i i guess to be honest we needed a, an, we needed that person we needed a second broadcaster 
And uh, it's never really been an entry-level position here. It's always been a position we looked at uh, and, and look for someone who has previous minor league baseball experience somewhere. And so from that perspective, we've looked for people who had worked for another team somewhere in another city and had experience calling games and learning the uh, the minor league uh, lifestyle. And uh, we had we needed that second person. We 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 run a big operation here. Not only the team and the events and the seventy games uh, that the Dragons are involved in, but also probably just as much or more so the other events we have at the ballpark that we as a media relations staff are are involved in in promoting and publicizing. So um, from that side of things, we we have a basically one and a half people. And, and I'm one, and the, the second person is here six months out of the year as a full-time member of our staff. So you could say one and a half. And, and that's our staff in media relations. So there's a lot to do. And uh, from that side of things, that, that person's been needed. So it's turned into a, an opportunity for some other younger broadcasters to try to use that uh, to, to move on to bigger and, and better things down the road. But um, really, in, in the beginning, it, it was, again, I'd like to say it was all done with the effort of helping others, but probably more honestly, it was done because we we needed that person. Now, since you started in Dayton in 2008, what's been some of your favorite Dragons to see play right. here at Fifth Third Field? Good question. Uh, the mo- I'll give you a few uh, names that I'll, I'll think back. Uh, the, the, the most exciting player, no doubt about it, was Billy Hamilton. Of course, he stole 103 bases here. Uh, and that only tells part of the story. Billy was, uh, uh, a guy that, um, when he was on base or, or in the field and he played shortstop when he was here, exciting things were going to happen. And, uh, um, so from that perspective, I'd say Billy Hamilton, most exciting player I've ever, ever witnessed. That was 2011. Uh, best player since I've been here. In terms of just production on the field, not not necessarily excitement, but just overall production, Jose Siri, 2017, just had a tremendous year, and and, and really, uh, we start our season the, the, about a weekend of the month of, of April, and took him until about May the 20th to really get it going, and once he did, all of his production was from May 20th through the end of the season in September, so he really condensed. Uh, a great year into about three months of baseball, three and a half months, and, and and was a tremendous player here. Of course, he had the the hitting streak that broke the league record. He hit home runs, he stole bases, he hit for a high average, he played great defense, just a great player. Um, and then there's there's many other players that have come through here uh, that were good players that I uh, um, really maybe enjoyed as people as much as they did they, as as players. And a lot of those guys, uh, I was happy to see some of them get to the major leagues after he left here. Uh, just this, uh, this last, within the last couple of weeks, one that I would name would be Joe Hudson. Got to the big leagues with the Angels, a guy that was here for two years that I really liked as a person. And, uh, Joe was here and a guy I pulled for. Um, some again made it to the majors, some never did, but that doesn't take anything away from the effort they put in. Uh, and, uh, it's like nothing else, Lee. If you, uh, uh, if you're in a classroom of 30 people like we have here, you're going to have a few that you really connect with and become friends. You're going to have, uh, probably a, a group that, um, you, uh, you get along with well, but aren't quite as close to and talk to occasionally. And then you might have a couple that you just don't care for. <laughs> and, uh, that, that's the way life is. And, and that's on a, on a Dragons team where I'm with the team and travel with the, the club on the bus and on the road. Every player has a different personality. I try to, as best I can, limit anything on the air that would in any way be, be partial. Uh, in other words, if a guy is someone that I think the world of, and he makes a mistake, I try to treat him just the same as I would if it's a guy that, again, is someone that, for whatever reason, we don't click off the air. Um, and there, there's, you know, there's one of those every so many years, uh, a guy that you just, for whatever reason, your personality and his just off the air, that you just aren't a very good fit. And uh, but you can't let that impact uh, what you say about the player on the air in any way. You have to stay professional and, and treat everyone the same. And if you do that, I think people respect you. 
What What are some of your favorite things about being the play-by-play voice and the media relations operator as the Dragons? Uh, well, you know, one of the things I get to do in media relations that I really enjoy is uh, I try to do as many speeches as I can throughout the the year, especially in the off season. I'll do them during the season also. If they're lunch speeches, I can't do obviously evening speeches, but lunchtime at Rotary Clubs and Kiwanis Clubs and things along those lines, Optimist Clubs, um, Lions Clubs, if if if, uh, if possible, uh, any of those types of organizations, service clubs, in other words. Um, but uh, um, I get a chance to go out, and as a broadcaster, you get uh, face-to-face interaction with the fans. And so you don't get that on the radio. You, of course, you're, you're broadcasting to a, an audience that you try to envision being out there, but you don't see them and they don't see you. But in the speeches, we really get a chance for some face-to-face interaction. We do a lot of question and answer. And if there's someone listening that would have an interest in uh, having me come out to speak to their group, you can contact us through the Dragon's office and uh, the phone number to call 228-2287. And one more time, that's 228-2287. You can schedule us to come out, talk to a group. If you've got, you know, anywhere from 20 to any, any number on up from there, we'd come out and speak to a group. And uh, that's something I really enjoy doing. And as a, as a broadcaster, um, it's a long season. I'm a, a pretty competitive person, so I enjoy very much uh, the years where we have a playoff team, a, a strong team that's got a chance to win a championship. You can't have that every year. Um, you start new almost from the beginning each year. You have a few carryovers from the previous year, but it's almost like starting a whole new team from scratch every year. So you might have one year where you're a powerhouse team, and the next year you struggle to get out of last place or vice versa. Uh, so that, that's part of it, and I enjoy those teams the most that uh, um, I think um, – are teams that really, I think, as fans, you, you enjoy listening to the games the most when the team's winning. So as a broadcaster, it's the same. Tom, what advice could you give to people wanting to become broadcasters? <laughs> well, I'm not sure I'd advise you to do it at all. But, uh, <laughs> uh, other, than, other than don't. Yeah. Um, I'll say for me, it's been a great career because it was something I really wanted to do and uh, um, didn't really – take it as uh the fact that i i was in the minor leagues the whole time didn't take that as a in any way a negative i've enjoyed it just as much as a minor league broadcaster and so for me it was it was definitely a career path that i i was intent on going down i would say if if and, and i work with young broadcasters at this level all the time if you're someone who really isn't um really really intense about wanting to do it it's probably going to have some sacrifices that you might not like because again um, it's an everyday 12 hour a day job and so if you don't really enjoy what you're doing you're going to get burnt out probably pretty quick um, if you uh, in any career choice Lee I would say you want to do a couple of things if you're someone looking for a, a possible career option or choice you want to pick Something that's got two, at least two things that, that that qualify for you. One is it's got to be something you really enjoy. There's an old saying: if you enjoy your job, you'll never work a day in your life. And secondly, in this business, it's got to be something that you, you you do really well. In other words, if it's an entertainment position, so it, it's like, for example, playing a guitar or singing in a group. No matter how much you like it, you got to be able to do it well enough that people are willing to hire you and give you a job somewhere so that's uh, a part of it also so in any career choice i would encourage people if they're middle school or high school age people or even college age people that are looking for uh their their choice of career pick something you like and pick something that somebody's told you along the way you really have a skill at that you do that well if you do those things you'll probably come out on top tom where can people find you on social media you know, I, I'm not a big social media person personally just because our team um, is really big on social media. And so I, I don't really try to separate myself um, from what our team does too much. In other words, I'm not going to give you some controversial opinion of 
of uh, uh, of an athlete or, or something in sports or out of sports for that matter, just because I don't really feel like that's my place as the media relations person for the Dragons to take a position that's necessarily separate from what our organization would, would prefer. Um, so uh, my position is to help our, our own social media campaign here um, in, in whatever ways I can, whether that's providing highlights, uh, uh, information, uh, lineups, and so forth. Uh, I do a little bit on Twitter, but very little, Lee. Uh, my Twitter handle is TomNichols02. I do get followers from time to time, but I see somebody sign up as a follower. I say, you're probably better off following the Dragons team than you are myself because I, I don't do too much on social media. Um, so that, that would be, uh, again, you want to follow the Dragons on Facebook or Instagram or, or on Twitter, um, and I encourage people to do that. Tom, thank you so much for giving me the time for this episode. Here's to a successful offseason, and see you back here in 2019. Thank you for having me, Lee. This has been Episode 63 of The Gem on the Queen's Crown, the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast. This has been another installment of The Gem on the Queen's Crown, the local Cincinnati and Dayton sports podcast. Closing theme by James Anderson from freepd.com. Follow the podcaster on Twitter at the Lee W. Mowen, spelled T-H-E-L-E-E-W-M-O-W-E-N, and the podcast on Twitter at Gem on Queen Crown. Like the Facebook page, The Gem on the Queen's Crown. For every link and platform available to listen to the local Sunday Sports Podcast, please visit theleewmowen.com slash podcast. Would you like a question about sports answered on the podcast? Send a message on Twitter at either account or visit theleewmowen.com and click Contact Me and your question might be answered in a future episode. Thank you for listening and your support of this podcast.